think everybody wants to do what's good, but that'll eventually keep you flatlined. It's the guys that work on those things that are tougher to do, do the extra cardio, do the extra gym work, doing the yoga, stretching your body, watching where you're going to bed at a certain time. Um, you know what, you can't just wake up and think you're going to get better. You got to put the work in and you know, for most not, you're going to get better if you do put the work in. That was Troy Mick, director of hockey for the Wenatchee Wild of the BCHL. And you are listening to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Padone. Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Padolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a 1,000. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there, and welcome back to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Padolan. Just want to start with a little bit of housekeeping here, meaning I'm going to tell you about what has been happening in the background of Up My Hockey. Uh, Up My Hockey is growing, which is super exciting um, in a lot of ways, and it's also been giving me some issues that uh, any growing company has, like you know trying to do a million things being one person and not being able to do them all as well as you'd like to do. So the podcast, unfortunately, in the last little while has been taking a back seat. However, that is all going to change for those who, of you who enjoy the podcast. Uh, I have uh, positioned myself to free up some more time for myself, one, by um, getting somebody involved in the production side of the podcast. So I'm going to be investing more into the podcast. It's not going to be an in-house uh, thing anymore with as far as uh, producing the episode itself or even grabbing the clips that I love to share on social media. I think that a big part of the podcast is, one, I appreciate each and every one of you that have been able to invest the 90 minutes or whatever it is for the episode and you listen to the episodes front and back and uh and obviously without without you the i mean the podcast doesn't exist whether you listen to it on the audio version or whether you're watching now on uh on youtube on my youtube channel which i've started to put the episodes on there in their entirety super grateful for that but i know that there's a lot of people that don't listen to the entire con uh conversation yet there's so many gold nuggets uh, in these in these discussions that I have, and so being able to extract some of these tidbits and these clips, and whether it be a player, whether it be a parent or a coach that happens to see it on a, on Instagram or on Facebook or or uh, or on YouTube or in one of my emails, you know, and, and I know that they help. So I want to make sure that we are utilizing the content to the best of my ability. Uh, it also helps with you know the branding of what up my hockey is. It helps uh, people understand uh, what I think, uh, what I'm passionate about, what I like to talk about how I focus my own my own uh, coaching and where my philosophy lies with that. So I believe it allows you to have a little bit of a, a window into into who Jason Padolan is as well, which which I know is uh, is important for those of you who are deciding whether you want to you know invest in a program or whether you want to get your team involved in a program with me or whether you'd want to have your your player work with me one on one. I think it's important that you understand who uh, who I am and what I'm about. And I know that the podcast uh, allows you allows you all to do that. So. Uh, I am investing in, in, in the brand. So we're, we're getting somebody from the social media side. Uh, I'm also getting some help with as far as like what my business development plan is and where I want this thing to go. Uh, and so you will be hearing from me um, with as far as to expansion. And, and one of the one of the things I want to expand with is having someone help me on the front end, whether that be 
uh, on the ground, even with with some skill stuff, or whether that be uh, with the with helping with uh, with my Facebook community, whether that be uh, help deliver some of the coaching sessions that are that are growing and mounting for me, uh, almost like a little mini me, whether it be a mentorship position or an apprenticeship position, uh, or somebody who wants to dip their toe in the in the coaching world and get involved in a great product that's helping a lot of players. Um, that will be coming out in a more formal environment here fairly soon. But if this is something that speaks to you, if you if you know what the Up My Hockey brand is, and if you are uh, you know somebody that's passionate about the game like I am, if you're passionate about wanting to help and uh, you know and, and grow the game and, and to help people reach their goals and dreams, and uh, and if you have played hockey, that would be another nice uh, nice factor to have. If 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 you can check those boxes and if you're interested in working with me uh, directly, uh, that will be something that I'm looking at here in the future too so there's a little bit of housekeeping without my hockey uh, we can expect to have weekly episodes here uh, for the rest of the hockey season that's my goal right now I'm trying to free up time to create more high quality guests with high quality content on a, on a regular weekly basis that will also have you know social media posts associated with them so uh, for those of you who love the podcast you should get a, a weekly dose of that from from here on out so now I've made my commitment to you it's just how I work with my players I'm like when you want to do something it's one thing to say it to yourself but it means a heck of a lot more when you tell someone else that you're going to do it so um, I'm going to be accountable to you guys I want you guys to hold me accountable to it and the plan is to here is to have a, a weekly episode release at least till the end of the hockey season so um, looking forward to that uh, today's guest let's get on with today's guest today's guest is Troy Mick Troy Mick says uh, in his elite prospects that he was born in Burnaby, Burnaby, BC, but he actually grew up here in Vernon playing his minor hockey. We didn't touch on that in the interview about when he actually moved, um, but he was a Vernon minor hockey product, uh, ended up playing in the BCJHL, went on to the WHL, um, had very prosperous years in the WHL, well, into the BCHL, uh, and then got drafted by the Pittsburgh Penguins, had a three-year pro career, and then got directly into coaching where he was uh, involved in the BCHL. Um, in many different capacities as an assistant coach, as a head coach, as a GM head coach, as a president and owner. Uh, he also went on to the WHL as a head coach. He's been uh, a president and GM over in uh, in the NCDC League with, with Philadelphia. Uh, now he's involved as director of hockey with the Wenatchee Wild uh, back here on the West Coast. So Troy's been all over the place. Uh, he definitely had his start as being a prolific scorer uh, and an amazing junior player. And to give you some idea of how prolific he was. Um, I wrote in my notes here, I don't want to get it wrong, but he is one of the few juniors uh, in history to score 200 career goals in the WHL. Um, that is really hard to do. Like four seasons of 50 goals a season is obviously the math on that, the quick math on that. Um, man, like was this guy productive? So he had 204 goals in 267 career WHL games. This guy could put the puck in the net. He was also a good passer. Uh, a former guest on the on the podcast, Dennis Holland, was his line mate in Portland there for some of his most prosperous years. And um, boy, uh, did they know how to put the puck in the net. So a great player in his own right. Uh, like I said, went on to play for uh, or to get drafted by Pittsburgh. And he went to camps and he shares some stories about Mario and, uh, and playing with Mario and, and what an experience that was but uh, this conversation I think that you are going to absolutely love uh, right from the get-go I tried to cover some of his some of his playing days and we did come back to it, but we just started talking about amateur hockey we started talking about development uh, philosophical differences um, 
you know, whether it's a 12 month year a sport or not, uh, how finances play into it and the decisions people make and, um, you know, parent involvement in hockey. Geez, I'm trying to go over all the topics, but it was it was awesome. It was a really great back and forth. Um, thankfully, we, we share a, a lot of. Uh, well, I shouldn't say thankfully. Actually, I, I enjoy a good discussion with uh, with differing opinions, but we do seem to be aligned on a lot of our philosophical approaches to the game and how to best support players and how to best support their development. And um, and so we get into that, some of uh, Troy's ideologies and, and some of mine. Uh, I really think it's a it's a great hot stove discussion, and, uh, and it's one that you're going to enjoy. I know uh, Troy's been around a long time. Uh, he's He's been respected everywhere he, he's gone, and, and by what he was able to speak to here today, uh, I believe all the players that are with them there with the Wenatchee Wild um, youth organization and, and the U18 and the U16 and, and everything else that he's, uh, he's a part of there are in very good hands. So, um, yeah, I think you're going to enjoy this. Uh, as usual, tons of gold, uh, lots of nuggets. Uh, I think there's some interesting stories and some uh, different, different paradigms that maybe we'll, we'll unlock for you and maybe start thinking about your own players' development a little differently. Or if you're a hockey player, then hopefully you pick up a few tidbits here about how to approach your game and your development uh, with, with maybe some, some new, through some new glasses, right? With, with a new lens, because uh, there's always things that we can learn. So without further ado, um, I bring you my conversation with Troy It's been a long time coming, Troy, but thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much, Jason. Looking forward to it. Yeah, fantastic. Um, always good just chatting hockey. I know that I don't do enough of it. Maybe in, in your line of work, you, you do uh, have the opportunity, but it's it's nice just to sit down and, and kind of, one, catch up, and then, two, just sort of discuss the state of the game. So that's essentially what we're going to try and do here today. No, and that's awesome. Obviously, we're both from Vernon, so probably a lot of stories and everything else over the years. So I'm looking forward to today and kind of like our own little uh, – satellite hockey situation project. Yeah, a little hot Communicate with a lot of stuff, on. yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I always usually start with with what uh, with kind of the roots, right? The roots of, of where of where it was and when you started playing. And I think that's relevant. I'm sure you've answered it a hundred times, but I think it just sort of sets the stage for, for players because a lot of this audience here that's listening up my hockey is either parents or players that are on the journey, you know, that have that are that are trying to do it and are playing and are obviously at a competitive level and uh, trying to figure out how to maybe either earn the scholarship or, you know, make a paycheck one day. And, and if nothing less, just have a hell of a lot of fun and enjoy the process while, while they're on the ride. So when did you start taking up the game and where were we at? Well, I, obviously for the listeners back in Vernon, uh, Swan Lake was kind of the, the starting point to my career and, you know, getting on Swan Lake when it actually froze all the time. So my, I remember my dad, you know, taking me out there when I was two years old. Uh, he actually put a pillow on my butt, uh, didn't want me to get hurt. And uh, my mom was a little freakish, obviously. She was more worried about, I think, me falling through the ice more than anything. But uh, that's where it really all started. I, I started right into the Swan Lake going out there skating. And, you know, my dad played a little men's league, so he wasn't a big uh, hockey guy, junior guy, but he always loved this sport. And, you know, kind of obviously when I was two and, you know, everyone says Canadian kids are, are born with skates on and, I've pretty much been on skates since I was two years old, like yourself, and that's just the Canadian way. And from there, obviously, I played uh, Vernon Minor hockey, and what a what a great opportunity for me being local and there. And basically, started my junior career when I was 14 years old, playing for the Vernon Lakers. So it was a lot of fun outdoor centennial rink. I mean, uh, we just had a lot of fun back in the day where people didn't know anything other than going out and having fun. Yeah, yeah, it's totally true, right? And there's. 
maybe we'll get into that because even with what you're doing now and what I'm doing now, trying to balance my personal philosophy of hockey is not a 24 hours a day, 12 months a year sport, you know, uh, especially at the amateur levels. Um, yet it has become that like the free time available to these players to go out and explore the Swan Lake or Centennial Rink, as you say, and just to develop and, and enjoy the game. Like, it seems like it's few and farther between. So, um, do you, well, maybe we should just go there right now. I mean, that's yeah. a real question. You know, like, do you feel that there's that there should be time, or like, how do you feel the games evolve when it comes to the development of these hockey players? Well, I think everything's now a twelve month hockey player, and I see a lot of kids that get burnt out. I see a lot of parents that are pushing the kids more than the kids actually want them. And I think that all goes down to not having a break or trying other sports. I mean, I remember growing up in Vernon. I mean, I was playing lacrosse, baseball, soccer. Um, I was doing every sport, and obviously one of my best friends growing up, Dennis Holland, and him and I were going back and forth. I remember my dad and Ryan e. Holland, who was one of the best hockey ambassadors in Vernon. And, you know, on a Saturday, we'd play lacrosse in the morning and play baseball in the afternoon and soccer at night. And we were just kids and having fun, loved to do anything. No one back then told us that, you know, we got to be 12 months playing hockey or 12 months of one sport. I actually thought I was a better baseball player uh, than I was hockey, but obviously you weren't able to go a whole lot of distance in baseball in Canada. So hockey kind of took that next step. But um, I just really, I think the kids are really missing out when they're 12 months of the year playing hockey. And, you know, depending on what level that they are, they miss out on becoming a young teenager and to a young adolescent and then a young man. And, you know, they get so stressed out with the things nowadays. I just with more parents have realized, you know, your son or daughter are going to dictate how much they're into that sport, support them, love them, but give them a break, give them an opportunity to try other things because if they show you as a parent that they want to really focus on hockey, they'll let you know and their actions will speak louder than words. And I just think the parents sometimes just think they got to do what Johnny does. And if Johnny does it, then Bobby's got to do it. And that's where I really don't like the stigma in hockey. I mean, I think every player should be judged on their own abilities and not what of somebody else's abilities from mom and dad. And do you, I mean, I hear exactly what you're saying there. And I, I want to touch on some things just like with me and my own programming kind of issues, right? And how I will run into myself uh, about what I'm offering. You know what I mean? Because, you know, even like my spring programs, for instance, right? Like I want to, and I've been very adamant and steadfast in the, in the fact that just because you're playing spring hockey shouldn't mean that you can't play anything else, right? And but then yet people will say that, but yet their program almost disallows any of that from happening, right? And so like for me, I've tried to not have anything on the weekends and I've tried to have an early morning practice, right? So the, the afternoons are, are, are free and then the weekends are also free to potentially go play soccer or baseball or whatever. So there's going to be a balancing act, but like that's one thing I'm trying to do within my own internal programming to say, yes, hey, I, I'm all about supporting the hockey player, but I do also want to support the development of the athlete, right? And allow the, the space to do that. Um, I'll take it. And then it goes to the summer stuff, right? Like people wants me to do stuff in July and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I don't think anyone should be doing anything in July with hockey, right? So like I don't offer it even though there's, there's a business opportunity there, right? So I don't start until August. But then you're also trying to fight like, you know, this is what I do. You know, I mean, I do do on ice stuff and I do want to service the hockey community, but I'm, I, I'm in the internal battle from the philosophical side, right? Like, Absolutely. If I say you should be an athlete and I'm offering programs all the time, you know what I mean? Like what, that doesn't really make sense for me, you know? <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah, I don't know how you feel about that. I, I guess I will say one other thing. So I'm doing something on Wednesdays, which you might find interesting or, or enjoy. And I, and I haven't seen it done in the academy system, maybe because the parents don't want it or maybe because the, they won't pay for it. But I'm doing it at an elementary school level on Wednesday mornings. Uh, parents take their kids out of school. Now, I'm not affiliated with any school system, right? So like they, they pull their kid out of school. Um, and they and they give them to me for Wednesday mornings. And so what I do is because they're all hockey players and they're all competitive hockey players, I do incorporate uh, 90 minutes of hockey. So we're on the ice for 90 minutes. I try and make you know 30 minutes of fun, 30 minutes of skill, and 30 minutes of of kind of compete drills and stuff. And then the other two and a half hours that they're with me, I try and introduce them to two different things all the time. And I do it in six in six week segments. So like right now, for instance, we're doing basketball in the gym where the hockey arena is. I bring in a basketball coach and we play basketball. And then afterwards, we go to the boxing club, and I'm introducing them to boxing, right, with a, with a boxing coach. So now they're doing 90 minutes of hockey, 60 minutes of boxing, and 60 minutes of basketball Wednesday morning, and then they go back to school. And um, so for me, philosophically, again, this is like in line, right? So I feel like in line. I'm exposing them to different stuff. We've done ultimate frisbee. We've done jujitsu. We've done a bunch of ton- fun stuff, right? But it's, I believe that's supporting the overall wellness of the athlete. I believe it's supporting the overall benefit of the hockey player. Um, but there's some like so I'm trying to find ways like to allow what I believe to come into real life. Do you think like there's an opportunity for that in the academy system as it is as it exists today? Absolutely. I mean, I know for ourselves here in Wenatchee, where I currently am, I'm the director of hockey here and co-coach with our 18s and 16s. And we also have a 14 and 12 program and our 14s and 12s are weekend based model teams. So they'll come in and do four practices, but then they'll do a lot of team building, do other sports and opportunities through that. And our 18s and 16s, of course, are on the ice five days a week. You know, we're in the gym three days a week. And then on the other two afternoons that we have, we're either doing yoga, you know, stretching, we're doing video, uh, off-ice mats. I mean, we're doing a bunch of different kind of components. Um, that would be great because, uh, you know what, it's a long year. And, you know, even myself that gets a paycheck every two weeks for being in the game, you get tired of hockey, hockey, hockey 24-7. And as a kid, we want to keep their minds going. You want them to be a sponge. And and I also thought, like, when I played lacrosse, I thought lacrosse was great for hand-eye coordination. Mm-hmm. You know, basketball is great for hand-eye coordination. And even setups. I mean, you got five players in lacrosse. you got five uh, guys in basketball. You can have different movements. But a lot of that stuff does, at the end of the day, correlate to the hockey aspect. So I don't think if you do basketball lacrosse and stuff that it's going to hurt your I think it's going to add more things. I think you're going to have different flexibility in your joints. I think your brain's going to spark more. And, and obviously, that's where I really like where you're going. Obviously, I went on your website, and I think that's tremendous because I think part of the biggest battle of hockey players that limit themselves is the psychology part of the game, uh, the positive motivation, the reinforcement and stuff. Because, uh, you know, with social media being such a big thing in these kids, I mean, you can look at it either way. I could say it's blue. You think it's sky blue. But I tell you what, these kids need that break and that avenue. And I think doing what you're doing now is outstanding. You're not telling the parent that they're not going to be a hockey player because, you know, heaven forbid uh, they're going to go to your hockey camp and they're doing basketball, right? Like, you know, these parents would, you know, get a little scary and get a little uh, eye look, I guess I I always say it. But, yeah, I just think when you aspect, any sport can relate to getting you better at your current sport. And I just think different coaches, different philosophies, different mentalities – is nothing but going to help your son grow in the game that he really wants to play. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of the education piece, which I think is super hard. Like I'm, I do believe that, but there's lots of people and that's the thing. 
I don't pretend that I have all the answers. It's just kind of what I intuitively think. You know what I mean? I think there is some science out there that is pointing in that direction if you want to take the scientific aspect. But there's lots of hockey guys that like are believe that it's just hockey. Right now, now in this day and age, you got to be on the ice all the time and they'll tell you straight to your face that that's what they believe. And I think that they you know, believe that to be true. So I guess, you I mean, you're always going to have you mean a different audience, but it seems like it's really hard for a parent to find the alternate option, right? You know, like the option of, yeah, how do we be a diverse, holistic athlete? And and if that's not available, then the only option is for these competitive players is feel like they're completely left out. Like you said, like Johnny's doing this, Johnny's doing that, and my boy's not. And you feel like you really are missing out in this development curve. And I think the education part is like, especially at the younger ages. And I don't know, I, like what's, I, I don't know even know I don't even know where I stand in this, but like, I, I definitely know what like peewee and under, like you do not need to be doing hockey all the time. Bantam, I think it's starting to become a little bit real, you know, like 14, 15, right? 13, 14, like midget, I think it's probably a crossover and you probably are spending a vast majority of your time on, on one sport, but I don't know where the hard cutoff line is, but uh, do you have, like, do you have a feel on that? Like, when do you actually get lost in the process if you don't commit a hundred percent to, to your sport? Well, I, and I agree with you. You know, I uh, I would like to see hitting back in Pee Wee. To be honest with you, um, I think the players really, for me, it starts there because once you hit Bantam, everybody gets that charge of testosterone, and now you go your first year Bantam with all these different sizes of kid. You're introducing hitting um, one. The teenage guys are not developed. You know, forget about the mental aspect. I mean, I don't know if I'm fully de developed yet, but, you know, at that stage, these kids need time. And I think if you introduce it at Wee, they're pretty much for the most part, you know, they're not going to run guys over. They're just getting used to the bodies, but they're going to learn to take the body. They're going to get comfortable in those situations. And then they go to, to Bantam. And, and I really think that first year Bantam is, is really the key, especially in Western Canada, because of the Western Hockey League Bantam draft. Um, I think every kid that you talk to knows about the Western Hockey League Bantam draft. You know, whether you support the Western League or the BCHL, I mean, I've coached in it, I played in it, you played in the Western Hockey League, unbelievable league. But the OHL and the Q, their draft is a year older. They let them develop a little bit more. So what is the right way or the wrong way? And I think, like you said, I think it's to each their own. But for me, um, you start going first year Bantams and now you start introducing that's when for the most part, all these hockey academies that are out there, you know, that have Bantam opportunities for these kids. And now to me, that's when it really takes off because then that second year Bantam, it's all about the Western hockey league Bantam draft. And, and, and there's a lot of great things to it, but there's also some things that I'm cautious with the Bantam draft because a lot of good players have never been drafted that have gone on to play, you know, in the NHL and but the parents, you know, they're investing, you know, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year in a first year Bantam component. So by the time they're out playing junior playing the Western Hockey League, they've already put two hundred thousand dollars worth of money into it. So um it's a big circle. Um like you said, I, I like the information. That's one thing I like about what you're doing. You played the game, you played at a high level, you represented your country. You know, I've been able to play the game at a high level, being drafted in the sign of Pittsburgh, and just hearing so many voices. At the end of the day, um, I'm totally – that Bantam first year is a big kicker for me, whether a kid could go full-time. Yeah, no, I know. And that does uh, – it speeds up the – 
it speeds up a lot of things, right? Like when kids are leaving home, like when they, and even for the kids, right? The pressure of, of everything that's happening in, in that year. Because like you said, if you're, you're a good hockey player and if you think you want to be a hockey player, these kids at 13 know what's going on. You know, like they, yeah. they, they know. They know what their buddies are doing and, you know, the two years ahead of them and one year ahead of them. And, and they know that there's bragging rights involved in the draft. And, you know, and they're leaning on mom and dad to, you know, like this is where I want to get to. It's happening in my house right now. You know, I have a, I have a 2009 that wants to get drafted next year and he thinks he wants to play in an academy and uh you know there's there's internal pressure on on me of where i should let him play or not right uh so i mean i totally get it i get it from a hockey perspective i get it from a parent perspective uh and and to your point that idea that you know these now 13 year olds right these 13 year olds are like trying to position themselves for a 14 year old draft when a third of the whl is undrafted you know a third of the whl is undrafted right and that's the thing is like you know, we're always looking like six inches in front of our face, really, right? And especially the kids, you know, like, they're, like yeah. they want it now and they want to get drafted right now and they don't see five years in advance. That's a lifetime, you know what I mean? And most adults don't look that far in advance, but um, to slow it down would be nice, you know what I mean? For sure, because then it's, you know, it's not a race and it's not a, it's not a game. It's not a money game either, which I think is one of the biggest things that hockey's fighting right now is like, to your point, like the amount of money, like there's, there's people listening to this is like, there's no effing way that they could pay that much. Right. And there's, and there's just not, it's not even on the radar. Right. And then there's some families that want it so bad that they're taking mortgages out in their house. And like, there's all this stuff going on and there has to be a better way is all I'm saying. Right. There has to be a better way. And, uh, and I don't know what exactly that way is, but I think these conversations do matter. Um, and I think that they're that they're beneficial because at least in the background, it, you know, I'm thinking about it and you're thinking about it. And I mean, how do we how do we do it? And how do we make it more accessible? And uh, how do we how do we slow down the insanity? Because as much as we love it, like I'm super passionate about hockey. I mean, that's what I do all the time. But uh, there's definitely a way, I think, to have a healthier relationship with it you know, for, from uh, from the mental side or from the financial side or whatever side. So that's just where, why I want to find that sweet spot. Well, and you're going to go, like you said, you you know, you got a young son that's already talking about it. And you know what? Uh, that's one thing. As soon as they hear they get drafted, everybody's tweeting it, retweeting it, Instagramming it. It's a pride thing. And it's, it's kind of like a branding thing. Like the CHL is such a good league that they do a great job. Their games are on TV and everything else. And you know, when you start growing up and you start going, okay, I mean, we've got the Vernon Vipers in our hometown, great program. The BCHL is, you know, the top junior A league in, in Canada for college-bound athletes. And and I couldn't agree more. I always say development, you know, is not a race. It's a marathon because that guy beside you might be better than you today, but doesn't have to be better than you tomorrow, depending on how much you dedicate yourself into getting better every day and mentally, socially, and the most important thing for me where everybody gets lost is they put the schooling to the side. And that's a big problem for me. I'm seeing a lot of that, that the parents are so focused on them wanting to play in the NHL. Or I think, you know, I mean, all one, maybe 1% 1 of all registered minor hockey kids in North America are going to make the National Hockey League. So what are they going to do when they're done? Well, they need an educational fallback on. The Western Hockey League has a very good educational package. The NCAA has a very good educational component. And I tell my guys, you can be a better hockey player once your education is great because then you have something to fall back on. And trying to tell these kids at 13, 14, 15 years old when they get to be my age or your age going, hey, like, you know, we were pretty lucky. We were able to get a paycheck in the game, but that doesn't happen all the time. And right now the parents are living the NHL dream where the kids got to realize they got to take the baby steps. And hopefully one day they're going to figure out this financial thing. But 
I don't know about you, Jason. Uh, last time I checked, you go into a sporting goods store and you're paying a thousand dollars for a pair of skates without steel. So yeah. you're paying three hundred dollars, four hundred dollars for a stick, or you know, it just goes on and on and on. And, and like you said, I know families that have taken second, third mortgages out for the kids to play it. I think that's one of the biggest problems in hockey society now. It's just the rising costs of it. And uh, I just don't know how some parents do it. I mean, I had to do it with my son, Logan. He went to uh, POE, which is now the Rink Academy, but I had to go work there as a director of hockey there just to afford it. Um, And I still had to pay $8,000 a year just in travel costs. So how some of these parents do it, but you know what? The more money you have doesn't mean your son's going to play at a higher level. It might give you better opportunities to get better, but the son, the daughter, the player has to want it first and foremost. Yeah. Great point. I mean, I, I, I mean, I really like that you just said that because that like there is, there is some negative, like there's a bit of toxicity around that topic. Like, in, cause I, I got a parent group on Facebook um, just called the Up My Hockey Parent Group. So it's a private thing. Parents come in, there's like 1800 parents in there from all across North America. And we have different conversations about different topics and, and every once in a while that's come up and there's almost like this, like my, my, my player will never make it because I don't have the resources, right? Like to allow them to make it. And although, I mean, there is some truth in that, but it's not really the truth, right? And, and, that's, and that's kind of my counter, my counter argument to the academies. As much as I love, like, there's a lot of good things that go on in academies. Like, it's not like I'm not branding this as being bad. Like, I'm, same thing. I'm considering, like, maybe, maybe throwing my name in the hat to, to be a coach at one of these academies next year. I mean, with Hudson going around. So it's not like I'm anti-academy. But what I am anti-academy about is the fact that this it is such a directed, scheduled process for these players that they check in and then they check out, you know. So like they're 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 there and they're told what to do and they get all this great programming. But then when they're off, they're off, you know. And and, and I and I don't think that nurtures the the athletic the, the athlete's passion for it. You know what I mean? Like the inquisitiveness, the creativity, the getting on the outdoor rink. You know, like all those other stuff that allows players to operate on an individual level and develop that passion with the game. I think that that's a detractor for me of the academies because there's just so much all the time, right? There's really not much time left for these guys to do much. Um, And the other thing I say to parents too, I don't know how you feel about that, but the other thing I say to parents too is like the amount of money, like if that's what you think is the opportunity is going to this academy and spending this huge whack of money, like if you have any money to invest, like save the 20 grand, go play minor hockey and like, and find a little bit of stuff on the side and just a little bit, right? Like that's personalized to your kid, right? Like you're saving a lot of money there. And then it also opens the door for them to go to the outdoor rink or to be on the ice a little bit more, you know, on their own terms in their own way, which I think is a pretty, uh, I don't know. I, I like, I, there's something that feels good about that to me, allowing that space, you know? Yeah. And again, if it was a perfect world, that would work, but you know, when you're looking, you know, at the CSSHL, I mean, you know, the best prep school league in all across Canada, you look at how many kids got drafted to the Western Hockey League. I would have to play with 70%, 75 per kids all came from hockey academies. So the parents that are sitting in Lumbee, BC, trying to decide, well, can he still make it if he plays in Lumbee minor hockey or even Vernon minor hockey? And they're going to go on that. And then, you know, they start seeing the releases of Team BC that came out this morning. Well, I think there's only maybe one kid that got selected out of all those players that didn't go to academy. Everybody else was an academy kid. So mom and dad are sitting back on the outside going, just to allude to your comment was, 
well, if he doesn't go there, am I going to give my son or daughter the best chance to succeed? And that's a, that's a one heck of an argument based on what we see, the drafts, the opportunities. Um, and I don't know if you're ever going to get away from that stigma, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, exactly. I mean, it's not, it, it it's, it's a bit wishful thinking, like, but there are, you can do it is all I'm saying. Like you, you can do it. And I'm like, the environment right now is so one way. And you I mean, and the scouts say, oh, we'll find a good player. And I do believe that if you are a really good player, at some point you're going to get found. You know what I mean? At some point you have, you know, whether you get invited to camps, you're going to get found. But the scouts just go to, I mean, essentially they go to that, they go to the CSSHL and that's what they watch. And they don't go to any AAA or very rarely the AAA teams would have to come to a CSSHL tournament. Um, they're definitely not watching AA too, too wildly. Um, I had Gary Davidson on, who you know, uh, a little while ago, and he says he does follow the local double-A league because he has had players from that. Like, he watches them. So there are some guys, you know, that know. But, yeah, for the most part, you know, I mean, it, it is tough. But, again, we're talking about that 14-, 15-year-old age bracket too, right, which, which is absolutely which, which is such a young and tender and immature age on so many levels, right? And uh, it's just – yeah, there, there's no perfect scenario, but I think recognizing maybe where some of the pitfalls are and, and, and maybe – you know, celebrating some of the things that uh, that can be done as an alternative um, are are worthwhile. You mean like for me, for instance, like so we had, like I said, my oldest who, Hudson, who's an 09, a uh, pretty damn good player, not a great player at this age uh, or at this stage, but it definitely like loves the game and has developed like over the last three years way probably faster than his peers. And he's on on that trajectory. Right. And wants to be a player. Um, he tried out at the AAA level. He was definitely good enough to be put into an academy as a varsity player this year. You know, he would have been able to make that team. But he ended up making the AA North Zone team, right? So it's kind of like that step down here locally from the AAA traditional BC hockey market. Um, still a big, broad range and it's tough to make as a first year, and he made it. Um, but, like, we're paying... We're paying twenty eight hundred bucks, I think, for his team fees this year, right? Obviously, there's travel on top of that and us to get around. Yeah. Um, but it's cer- certainly not thirty, you know. And 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 we're also we're also uh, invested in a hockey academy program here offered locally, so it's part of his electives for school, right? So in the afternoons for the first semester, he or the mornings, he he goes and gets some on ice and off ice training, and which is dedicated around personal skill development. So and that's I think. I don't know, let's say three grand, 2,800, maybe two. So I think we're probably about five or $6,000 in. Again, I understand that's a lot of money for a lot of people listening already, but it's it's a very good program compared to the 30K, you know? So I know everyone has a different level of financial ability to to, to go there, but it's it's just not, I don't think it's like an all in, like you have to, you know, you have to go to develop the right yeah. way. You have to go to these academies, but I know you're a part of an academy too. So I don't mean to be like having a counter argument either because there's, I mean, there's a lot of good things about it, but uh, I just think that none of that, none of that stuff gets talked about really about the different options because it's confusing too. There's so many places to play now, right? It's like, where the heck are we supposed to go? Well, it is true. I mean, there's a whole bunch, like even down here in the Pacific Northwest, there's only two tier one programs. We're on the east side of the mountain, so which would include Wenatchee, Spokane, Tri-Cities and that area. And then on the west, you've got uh, the Seattle uh, Northwest Stars and the Seattle Snow King is the other tier one. But then next year, those programs are going down to tier two and the Seattle Kraken are now coming in as the only other tier one on the other side. So our academy, I mean, we've got guys from Arizona, Texas, Northern California, uh, Wyoming, Utah. I mean, we're all over the place. And all those programs that really we get are top AA programs are now coming up north to play AAA. You know, there's really no junior A leagues out on the West Coast. If you go down from Washington, 
you know, Wenatchee's the only junior A team. There's nothing in California and down there. And so it gets to be a, an opportunity. These kids want to expose themselves. And um, it's it's quite the, you know what, it's quite the, I guess I could say I'm kind of happy. I know you're just going to step into that ring of, with your son and go on what is the best interest of him from a family, from a personal, from a business. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got some uh, good days and long nights ahead of you, my friend. No question. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I know you said earlier, and, and uh, I wanted to get back to it, but you mentioned about you know like that the player kind of can kind of dictate their course essentially, right? Like how how much they want it, and 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 how much uh, or how much they or how much how little they they want it, right? And sometimes the, yeah. the parents step in and and they're the motivators. Uh, we definitely see that. Uh, I guess for me, when I'm when I'm thinking about it. And again, philosophically, like, you know, I have three players. And now my, my youngest is just about to turn 10, and he's hockey nuts, too. Like, he'd be on the ice every day. And, and he's right. good. Like, he's he's really good, like, provincially good, kind of. You know, like, that sort okay, of level. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I'm still philosophically, like, it's – I don't want to say one thing some ways, and then, but for this kid, it's okay. So, like, I, I've actually – my kids were super mad at me last summer because I made them not skate for two months. Like, I made them. Like, they wanted to, and they have the appetite to do it. You know what I mean? And they would yeah. have loved to have done it. But I'm like, no, this isn't good. I really believe it's not good for you, and I really believe it's not good for your development. Like, I truly believe that. It's, it's like, not something that I'm, you know, pretending about. Like, even if you don't want to play anything else, put the skates away and go be a kid and let your body heal and let all these things happen that are that I think are supposed to happen. Um, so I guess I, I'm just going to push you push you on that a little bit because I have those conversations with parents too. Like, oh, well, my, my kid wants to. Like, even where they're going to play hockey, right? Like, considering that a 10-year-old makes a decision for a family of whether they play Vernon Minor hockey or whether they go play private. Like, that blows my mind to me, like that the 10-year-old's going to make the decision. But should a kid have some type of input in that? Or, or what, what, what's your feeling on that? Well, I think from a parent, and again, I've gone, you know, gone through it with my son, and it's like I'm a dad every year because I relive. Uh, I don't want to say nightmare every year, but those are the biggest things, you know. And uh, and for me, I think your son or daughter definitely have to have a play in it because they're the ones that are going to have to wake up early all the time. They're the ones that you know, if mom and dad are going to support financially, we want to know that they're going to work hard at it. But I think the biggest kicker is pushing the education first. Um, and making sure you can use that as motivation. Use the game of hockey and the love that you have for that to translate into the love to the education to go, okay, here's the deal. You know what? I want your bed made every morning. I want your schoolwork to be as high as it possibly can. And that's kind of what I do with our with our guys. I said, listen, like, I could sit here and say, I would love to be on the ice all the time and just talk hockey and stuff, but that's not the real world. Like, the real world is one day you're going to have to get a job you're thinking and hoping that you're going to be in the NHL. So as a younger age, I had to listen to my son, Logan, and go, okay, he was drafted by the Edmonton Oil Kings. And, okay, do I want to support him or do I like the junior A route, BCHL, because I went the Western Hockey League route. Um, But I know, you know, the education for me, I was just happy, you know, that I passed back in the day because I wanted to be a hockey player. Now there's so many choices. I think the game of hockey can – translated to so many different professional careers and you know i've had a lot of guys that you know went on to play in the nhl but more importantly become husbands and doctors and lawyers and and just good humans um i think that's when people forget that hockey can breed such a great great culture of a family environment that you can't spend any money on to get and that's what i really love about the game now is just the closeness of a team that brings together getting the right coaches in place that are 
basically saying, singing the same tune as you. But at the end of the day, I think they got to show you as a parent that you want this from a son's aspect or a daughter's aspect. This is what I like to do. I'm going to make sacrifices, but I totally agree. Playing 12 months of the year would be a non-starter for me if I had to go through it again. And at least a month, you know, they can do stick handling in the garage. They don't need to skate. It's such an opportunity to, you know, gain weight, you know, grow. They don't have it. I mean, I was in Philly the last three years, and, and I loved everything about it. But uh, the spring hockey out there, they are nonstop. I mean, we finished my my first year there. We were 16U AAA program, and we were done on a Friday. On Monday, we started 18U. Uh, it was the next just started and the spring tournaments all over Boston and Minnesota. Like you're talking 2013s that are traveling on planes every other week and going to Vegas, Chicago. So, um, you know what? Um, my hockey rankings, like uh, they they just live and die by so much of the stuff that I just think if the player wants it, he's really going to be able to tell mom and dad he wants it. Right. Yeah, I mean, spring hockey turns into summer hockey, which turns into winter hockey, right? Like, it's it, there's no, you don't have to stop anymore if you don't want to, that's for sure. All right, just want to take a short break from our conversation with Troy Mick to talk to you about Up My Hockey and remind you of all the places where you can engage in Up My Hockey. Uh, if you want to find out about my programs, my offers, my spring programs, if you are local, my skill sessions, my Wednesday Academy, uh, anything to do with on-the-ground services or anything to do with online services, you can find that at upmyhockey.com. That's home base for uh, everything that you can uh, invest in uh, as far as, like I said, on-the-ground skill development or uh, mental development in the online capacity. Uh, if you are somebody, I'm trying to grow some of my social channels as well, uh, which I haven't done a very good job of actually actively promoting. So I am producing and, uh, and airing these discussions on YouTube. So if you are a YouTuber, or even if you're not a YouTuber, if you go to visit Up My Hockey with Jason Padron and subscribe, that would be super helpful to growing the channel. Um, and I'm also working on uh, Instagram. Instagram is something that I haven't really been promoting either, but a lot of my clips and tips uh, go on to Instagram. I'm also fairly active with my stories on Instagram. So uh, just as far as a day in the life of Jason Padron, I, I share quite a bit of what is going on from a day-to-day -day value from me being a hockey dad to me being a hockey coach and being involved in the programs and, and also some of the material that I find online that I think is beneficial, I, I, share, uh, I share in my stories there. So that's at Jason Padol on Instagram. Again, Up My Hockey with Jason Padol on, on YouTube. Uh, I don't want to forget about my parent group on Facebook. Uh, it's been a super successful group uh, that is a, you know, it's a private group that you need to request access to get into. Uh, it, is a free, it is a free group, but I provide uh, what I feel is great service in there and a great community. You get to ask questions. Uh, you get some, uh, some kind of some free lessons and tips from me. And uh, it's a really supportive community with a lot of uh, great people from all across North America. I think we have almost 1,800 hundred uh, people that are in that group now so you can definitely request access on Facebook and I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting anything or not um, I think that's it well, there has been ideas of maybe having a TikTok channel that is so foreign to me and I can't even keep up with what I'm doing right now on social but uh, it sounds like if you want to reach uh, the, the youth hockey players these days that's where I should be so uh, maybe let me know if I should be doing that or not um, but yes, uh, thanks again for listening. As far as uh, where you're following or not, um, that is completely irrelevant to me other than you are listening here and you're here right now. So thanks so much uh, for all the great reviews. Uh, I had somebody today just write me and say thanks. 
short and simple. You make a huge difference. Uh, thanks for the podcast. It was like three sentences. I was like, oh my God, that's so amazing. Uh, even that little bit of time out of somebody's day just to let me know that they appreciate what's going on um, really fuels my fire. So I, I appreciate for all of you who've reached out and have uh, left the reviews and continue to share the podcast with other people. Um, it, it's crazy. I, I just got invited to uh, be a guest on all the Kings men podcast for the LA Kings. Uh, it's the official podcast of the LA Kings. He said that somebody recommended the, the program to him and, uh, and he loved the content and he wants to have me on. I mean, that type of stuff happens over and over again. So I know uh, that you faithful listeners out there are uh, are really doing your part to, to share the brand and to spread the word. And I am super appreciative and grateful for that. So thanks again. Uh, again, YouTube is, is a growing place. Instagram is a growing place. Uh, the Facebook community is a growing place. And uh, and all things up my hockey at upmyhockey.com. Um, you can also get in contact with me there uh, to provide your email if you want to get on my newsletter and blog. So there's up my hockey in a nutshell. Uh, thanks again for being here. Now let's get back to the up my hockey podcast with Troy. You played at 14 in the BCJ. So I played in the BCJ too at 15. I mean, we, that's not even allowed anymore, right? I think you have to be 16 in, 16. in both the WHL and the BCHL. So you played at 14. So you were obviously. Um, well, you're obviously some a, a standout, I guess, at the minor hockey level that allowed you that allowed you to get in the league at 14. How how was that transition, or how like how did that all come about? It was amazing. Well, back in the day, of course, the Civic Arena isn't there anymore. Uh, I lived with my dad, and we were kitty corner right to the Civic Arena. It was like the the White House on the corner. So I was a, a sponge. I'd be going there every single day, you know, grabbing the pucks, or I guess you should say stealing the pucks because it really wasn't boring them. I was putting them downstairs in my shooting room and I would live at the arena and uh, I'd watch the local junior guys. I mean, you look at George Farger, Marguerite Stein, you know, some of the real good people that impacts in my life, watching them play hockey, moving on, Kenny Holland, and um, just being able to watch the, you know, the Vernon Vikings there. And, you know, you had some Wayne Dye, you had a lot of so good players that came through Vernon back in the day. And uh, to be a part of it, I was a stick boy for a lot of it. And then I went through the Vernon minor hockey. And probably one of the best things I loved about Vernon was playing in that Vernon Pee Wee Winter Carnival. Uh, that was one of the highlights to this day in anything I've ever done in the game where I got to get off school for two days. I got to go on a parade. I had got to throw candy at kids. I mean, got the jacket on. I mean, that was one of the biggest things, and that's why I always try to tell kids, enjoy the simple things, because when you get older, those simple things become like a championship to do that. And I was fortunate enough to play Bantam, and I got called up for a few games, and then I played the first half of the year when I was 14 playing juniors. And, you know, you got to think back then, there weren't all the rules that you had then. I mean, there was, you know, I'm 14 years old. I'm seeing line brawls happen in front of me. I'm seeing, you know, people throw garbage cans on the ice, and, I'm playing against 20-year-old guys that have full-on beards and mustaches, and I'm like, is this really what I wanted to do? And, you know, you just kept sticking with it, and I had a lot of people support me. Obviously, my family, my dad is, was a big supporter, and it was kind of nice. Me and Dennis Holland kind of always kind of went together in everything that we did, and uh, we were a pretty good tandem in minor hockey, and we were able to put the points up, but I think we realized this is what we wanted to do, and then at 16, I asked to be traded from uh, the Vernon Lakers at that stage. Uh, you know, I don't want to say it was tough being a local player playing in your own hometown, but there were some challenges, obviously, and I wanted more ice time. I thought I was, you know, all that in the bag of chips and ended up going to Merritt and, you know, played for the Merritt Warriors, the only time that they've been called the Warriors. And I was 16 years old, 
you know, living in Merritt. And that's when they just opened the Coquihalla. I swore we were going to die a couple times uh, being the first team to go to the Coquihalla on a yellow school bus. So, um, you know, I learned a lot from there. And then that's really when I got traded to Portland in the middle of the year and kind of went down there in February and basically started my Western League career. You go from, you know, a little town and a little rink in Merritt to Portland being over 10,500 people and people screaming your name and buying you gifts. I, I thought I was in the NHL when I went to Portland. Right. Well, yeah, well, maybe we should talk about that. So, like, Merritt, and then I don't know if Hockey DB is right, but, like, they have you playing eight games as, like, a 14-year-old, nine as a 15-year-old, and then 42 there with the Warriors at 16 when you had, like, that, I mean, huge numbers, 44 goals in 42 games, 67 points. Um, what what was what was that experience like in Vernon then? Were you kind of in and out of the lineup even though you were on the lineup? Is, is that is that what ha- was happening? Yeah, I mean, there's uh, more games on that than what was that was there. But, yeah, it was just – you know what, you, you know, automatically people think if you're older, you should be better. Um, and I just had that, I don't want to say I had a chip on my shoulder. I just wanted to play more. I was hungry. Like, I loved the game. I wanted to get out there. And all the way up until Bantam, I mean, coach would say, you come off when you want to come off. Other than that, you know, like, so then you go to juniors and you're not really ready for it. No one teaches you how to play junior hockey. Um, it was, I played Bantam one game, next day I was playing a midget game and then I was playing junior hockey and it's a whole different realm. And, and I think that's one thing that more and more people are talking about is the transition from youth hockey to junior. I mean, I was there and I was a goal scorer and then all of a sudden you're playing bigger, stronger guys, uh, the mental aspect of, you know, now playing seven o'clock at night. So your whole daily routine changed and then you're going to school during the day you know, and then you got, you know, fans liking you and then you go fans in the other way and they don't like you. And, you know, they're spitting, chewing tobacco at you, throwing jawbreakers at you. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you and I could sit back and do stories of all the, the, the good and ugly part of the game of hockey, but those are memories you never change. But um, that was really something for me. And then from there, when I asked to be traded, uh, Mike Enemark was the coach and they own the team and, you know, they helped me out. I went to Merritt and it was a best thing that probably happened to me at that stage other than I got to be mature. I got to live away from home, you know, didn't rely on my dad to help me do this or do that. And I was able to go away and, you know, I lived with six other players in a townhouse uh, in Merritt back in the day. So um, you learned the hard way to battle for food. So maybe that's how I got the puck harder in the corners. I <laughs> one of those scramble legs a little bit more. <laughs> That's funny. So then there was no draft back back then, like as far as a uh, WHL draft was concerned, you just got put on a list. Were, were you then, like, did you get listed before you went to Merritt or did you get listed from your time in Merritt with, with Portland? How did that work? Yeah, I was uh, in Bantam and Glenn Dirk, I remember he's, you know, scouted with the New Jersey Devils for many years. He's a BC guy. And I remember he come to me a game after a Civic Arena and he goes, hey, Troy, my name is Glenn Dirk. I'm a scout with the Regina Pats. And, you know, I'm 13, 14, there's no social media, there's hardly any anything. And I'm like, Regina? I don't think I've ever heard of Regina before. And he goes, yeah, we're part of the Western Hockey League. We listed you. What do you think? And I'm like, oh, okay, great. I, I just thought, I mean, back then, that was just another step of what we do. And I was like, okay, great. And, you know, I remember uh, um, they listed me, and then I ended up traded from there to the Kelowna Wings back in the day. And when Regina came through, I remember going to one of their practices while they had Lyndon Byers, they had uh, Robert Dirk, uh, they had Stu Grimson. I mean, these guys were monsters and I was probably 144 pounds and I'm practicing with these guys. And I'm like, oh boy, I don't know if I'm ever going to play in this league. Those guys are obviously monsters, but 
Uh, I learned to figure it out. I started gaining some weight, but then, uh, you know, as the things went, I ended up uh, getting traded from, uh, you know, it was Spokane. It was Kelowna moved to Spokane, and then I was with Spokane, and then they traded me from Spokane to Portland because Dennis Holland at that stage was uh, with Brandon. He got traded from Brandon to Portland, and we ended up connecting together, and lo and behold, we had three and a half years uh, together in Portland and nothing but great memories there with him. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, totally. Okay, so that's interesting. You got traded before you were even in the league. A um, couple times. <laughs> yeah, twice. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. That's crazy, actually. Hey, so yeah. So yeah. So you, so you were had a super successful sixteen-year-old year there, and then it was looks like halfway through that year they thought that obviously you were ready to rock, and they brought you up to Portland, and you played a little bit at sixteen. Um, I wanted to touch on well, one. I think we should. I mean, you and Dennis kind of almost. I'm sure you're used to it. They 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 happen in the same sentence most of the time, right? You guys grew up yeah. together, and then you had so much success together in Portland. Um, and get Dennis, by the way, was a past guest. I had him on, geez, quite a while ago now. But uh, you know, working with Dallas and and uh, had uh, talked to him about his story and all the success he had in the <laughs> in the Western League. Uh, how was that like? We talked about chemistry a little bit with you guys too, and and maybe that can be the direction that you go because there's some players that make like you know there's Troy Mick by himself or there's Jason Podolan by himself, and then say if I'm playing with um, whoever you know like let's say uh, Damon Lankow when I was in in, in Short Park maybe I'm Jason Podolan I'm now one and a half times or one and times two five right because like we just bring out the best in each other. Uh, do you think that that was something that was happening with with you and Troy? Yeah, like, honestly, it was such a, you know, but I think we really showed each other we could play without each other because Dennis stayed in Vernon when I asked to be traded to Merritt. So, you know, I was able to play without Dennis that year. He was able to play without me. So I think we put a lot of naysayers that maybe thought that we had to both be together to be successful. So I, I think that was very important. And then we kind of thought that that was going to be the end of it. And then lo and behold, you know, my dad's talking to his dad and mom and everybody else and, you know, uh, you know, as soon as my season was done with Merritt, I went to Portland right away. I stayed the rest of the year. Dennis was more of the, the studious student, let's put it that way. Uh, both of us, we could both score goals and like to do it. Dennis actually was good in school, and I was just that, okay. I mean, my algebra teacher at Seton and Vernon says, well, I'll pass you, but you have to promise me not to take algebra in grade nine. And I said, deal. That's my first trade I ever did. <laughs> so <laughs> so that was good. But then when we went down there, we had a phenomenal team. That was the year we hosted the Memorial Cup in uh, Portland. You know, we had obviously, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Finley was down there, Glenn Wesley, uh, Jeff Sharples. We had David Archibald, Dan Woodley. I mean, we had a lot of good players there. So I stayed down there the whole time. And it was a lot of fun. So, uh, you know what? It, it was memories I'll never forget. I'm actually going to Portland beginning of December to go down there. I played an alumni game. I still talk to some of my Bella families. And that's really what I really like about junior hockey. But, yeah, Den and us, I go way back and just uh, an amazing family. And Kenny doing what he's doing now. Just, uh, you know, those are memories that no one can ever take away from you. Yeah, I know for sure. And it's fun when you find somebody that you click with. I mean, it just makes the game more fun, right? When you know where someone's going to be without you even having to really to look. And, you know, when all those good things just start happening, it's uh, it's pretty magical. And I think that's when the game gets it gets uh, gets gets really a lot more interesting. And I think that hockey IQ aspect of it, right? When you find somebody that that's a match, you know, or like, you know, right. like it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And that's one thing that I think... I don't know if it's overrated or underrated, but like we, 
I talked with like Mark, Mark, I don't know if you know Mark Dial name or that Frankie Bannum name, but Mark yeah. Dial was, uh, he led the WHL in points one year. Frank Bannum, I think he led the WHL in goals that same year. Okay, and yeah. no one beaten Diesel like Mark Dial's record since, since he put up whatever it was, I think 163 points back in the mid nineties or something, right? He has, he has, since he put that up, no one's beaten, beaten his, um, and they were both like, I mean, Fra- Frankie Bannon went on to play in the NHL. He was kind of one of those guys that was an enigma sort of guy. Every time he got called up, he'd score points, but he could, for some reason, he couldn't stick around, right? He ended up being a great, a great European player. And then Mark Dial ended up losing, losing his eye in a freak accident right. and was a pretty good AHLer. Um, but like, just from a, from a GM standpoint, like I was like, how did somebody not put you two back together again? Like to, to Frank and, and uh, you know, Frank Bannum and, and Mark Dial, right? Because they had so much chemistry and so much success together. Like, you know, like from, uh, yeah, like I just think from an association standpoint, like trying to find those connections, I think is a real deal because guys play well with other guys. You know what I mean? And it brings out the best of them. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think that would be a great thing to explore. But the fact that you found that in junior was fantastic. And I do want to talk to you about, so your 17-year-old year, you had a heck of a good year, um, but didn't get drafted. Like, what, what was that all about? I think you had, uh, if I got my notes here, 30 goals, 33, 6, 63 points, over a point a game as a, as a 17-year-old, uh, but was passed over in your first year of eligibility. Was there anything going on there? Or, like, what was the – like, what were you hearing? I know it's not like how it is now where there's reports yeah. all over the place, and <laughs> the only time you'd read anything about yourself would be in the hockey news if you were lucky. But, uh, like, what was, what was the note from your coaches then after your draft year, your first draft year? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I could always score, I love to hit, I like to be involved, but, you know, my skating probably wasn't the greatest. Um, I don't think it still is to this day when I'm on the ice blowing the whistle. So um, I think that was one thing they wanted to see me a little bit more. And then in next year, obviously, I had even a better year, but then that was the year they changed the draft that you had to play X amount of games in major junior to be eligible to be drafted in the first three rounds. Well, supposedly, you know, they were saying I was ranked in the third round or something back then, but then I didn't get drafted. Well, then after that, you couldn't get drafted until the seventh round. I'm in the Montreal Forum. I was actually at the draft, you know, with my family advisor, which was the owner of the Portland Winterhawks. And, and I'll tell you what, that was the most humbling experience I've ever had, you know, going, you know, flying from Portland to Montreal. They're saying you're going to get drafted. You go there and then, you know, I go 130th overall. Now it's like I would be a second rounder with all the teams in the NHL. So that's why I never say what round. I just say what pick I was. Hey, I'm 130th. Oh, geez, you were a third or fourth round pick. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So that I kind of use that all the time. But, yeah, no, you know what? It was something that I guess was meant to be. And, you know, it, it was uh, it made me work harder, I guess, getting bypassed. I think those are a lot of opportunities where you could go the other way and, you know, hate the world, hate the game. I took it as motivation and I ended up getting drafted the next year. And, you know, I, I go to Pittsburgh's camp for three, four years in a row, see Mary Lemieux, Mark Recchi, Yammer Yager, and just perfect timing for me when all the European invasion came in and it was like, all right, Pittsburgh wins now three out of four Stanley Cups. Time to retire. See you later. <laughs> right. Right. Well, you know what I, and just for the, the listener, because I, I did do a, a tiny in, a bit of homework, like the year that you did get drafted, like you said, in the seventh round, and I'm kind of the same way. I was a second rounder, 31st overall, but that's actually a first rounder now. So, um, so you know. You should go back and get more money now. <laughs> yeah, way more, way more. Yeah, for sure. 
but the, the it was the 88 draft and it was Mike Modano. So the year got draft was Mike Modano was first overall. And uh, and so I grabbed his stats. So you had 63 goals and 147 points. Granted, you were one year older than Mike, but I mean, really, in this grand scheme of things, who cares? And Modano had 47 goals and 127 points. So you had 20 more points and 16 more goals, right? And went 129 spots after him, right? And uh, anyway, so I mean, of course, there's there's dynamics involved, and it's not just about points. And there's other things, but like I, I'm just talking about the personal human aspect of of, of like to you saying that was a long trip and that was a long time sitting there. Like you must have been having a lot of questions about like why the hell am I still sitting here, right? Like especially when you're comparing yourself to on a stat line to somebody like Mike Badano. Yeah, I mean, I think back then, especially when I played, you, they really looked that you had to be six foot. Like, uh, you know, and the games all changed and everything else. And, and even when you played, I mean, it was rough and tumble. I mean, you dump a puck in, you had to go through two semi-trailers to get there because the defensemen are yanking on you. Not like now, you can just plaster people. And so I remember Central Scouting coming into Portland and, you know, everyone said, oh, you got to hit six feet. And I'm like five, ten and a half, five, eleven and a half, depending on what hockey card. But we would all put tape balls on our heels when Central Scouting would come. And then we'd line up against the wall. And I actually made six foot on a couple of those things. So I was absolutely jacked up. And then, of course, when they would call and ask you about you, are you really six foot? They'd send somebody in. Nah, I'm a solid five, ten and a half. So, <laughs> but yeah, those are just some of the things. And and Mike McDowell and I were buddies. We played against each other for years. We played on the All Star game together in, in the Western League. And he was something else. So he was six two, and he could move. And you know, coming from Minnesota, that he was. He, you know what? He goes from Minnesota and plays in PA. And uh, I don't know back then, PA was not a nice place to. To play there it was just a bad now it's phenomenal every team in the western hockey league's got a beautiful building and everything else but yeah it was uh it was a lot of fun sitting there by myself in montreal didn't know french and it was a, a long night in the hotel sitting there but i always say that what makes you weak can make you stronger and i took it and went the other way all right yeah i know good for you and that was the thing dennis brought up to uh holland i'm talking about now just saying you know and one thing that I use, I actually use Dennis's story in in uh, in some in, in one of the clips that I have in my course, my Peak Potential course, because in the second in week two of the Peak Potential Hockey Project, it's it's all about I call it 10x development, right? So like, how do you craft you know your process of becoming better, right? And I think it's really good to celebrate your strengths and to work on those, of course, because we want to have something that to, for us as a hockey player that allows us to stand out in a positive Absolutely. way, right? If you're a shooter and you can score on the one time, you should continue to practice that shot, of course, right? Because you want to st still have that be one of your weapons. But you also don't want to have something that could potentially hold you back. So you have to be able to analyze what your weakness is and have that self-awareness to be able to work on it. Dennis, um, Dennis said that, you know, he didn't have the self-awareness to understand that he should have invested more in his skating. And my point, even when I'm talking about it now with these players, is like, of course he didn't invest more because he led the league in points, right? Like, it's really hard not to be comfortable in that scenario, right? Like, you're getting around the ice just fine, right? You're putting up tons of points. You're putting up tons of numbers. You're getting recognized. You're feeling good about yourself. So, um, like, I, I totally – I think – he forgives himself and, and I totally forgive him from an adult standpoint, but having that self-awareness though is critical. Is it not like to truly try and unpack your game and try and find out what might stop you at the next level? Huge. And I think you got to get out of your little comfort zone because you made good where you are in Vernon or Cologne or Penticton, but you're not competing against the guys from Vancouver, Calgary, Winnipeg, Minnesota, New York, Boston, where there's so many good hockey players. So 
you have to go, how can I get better every day? Whether it's power skating, shooting, strength in the gym, you know, the psychology part of the game of hockey and, you know, going to a gym and working out with a purpose and plyometrics. Like there's so much now, like, you know, back then, I think there was maybe four or five power skating teachers in the world. Now you can break down your craft so much in the game of hockey, but again, you're spending money for a lot of things. But now if you're going to be that hockey player that you say you're going to be, you need to invest in that, even nutrition. Like I still see a lot of guys not following through on nutrition. They just going to think I'm good. Well, I always say to me, there's always someone bigger and stronger and better than you somewhere. So you better work every day to catch that person. You may not know him, but I guarantee he's out there. And then the kids kind of figure that out. And that meant a lot to me kind of going through it going, yeah, you know, what was I like? Did I train hard enough in the off season or did I want to go to Cal Beach and hang out on the wharf? And, you know, that's how I worked out. Like back then I rollerbladed a little bit, but, you know, we would go to camp and get in shape back then. And now forget about it. Like uh, you're getting every kind of test and, you know, every kind of probe on you to make you better nowadays. And it's amazing. So I always say, the day that you're not having fun with any of it, don't do it anymore. Yeah. When you're having fun and getting the rewards of it, then sky's the limit for you. Yeah. Yeah. And it totally makes a difference. It makes, and it makes those grindy things. Um, and I think that was to Dennis's point, even I'm, I'm not going to quote him for exactly, but he's like, you know, <laughs> it, it's easy not to work on the stuff you're not good at because it sucks. Like you don't really yeah. enjoy it. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, it's, it, it's, it's hard to have that mentality or that mindset, which is something that I definitely work with the players on, as you know, about like, how do we, how do we change what that story means? Like, what do we, how do we change the narrative? Right? Because yeah, if, if you're not good at something or if you're clunky with your hands and you're, and you're, you know, you're in front of everybody and you're, you're doing whatever work and it doesn't feel good. Like there's nothing that feels good about that. Right. But we, if we rewire the story and how that connects and you understand that, you know, the process of learning and, and what this is actually telling you, this is exactly probably where you need to be, right? This, this is a, this is a sign that this is where you should be. Right. So now it's something you can get excited about and kind of dig your heels in on. Like there's, there's obviously tricks and stuff with that, but um, I think that's the biggest deterrent, right. About, about the development of a weakness is that it's not fun. Like it really is. not fun. Right. Who wants to work on a backhand, right? Yeah. Like I would say receiving a pass on a backhand, like everybody wants to do what's good, but yeah. that'll eventually keep you flatlined. It's the guys that work on those things that are tougher to do, do the extra cardio, do the extra gym work, doing the yoga, stretching your body, watching where you're going to bed at a certain time. Um, you know what? You can't just wake up and think you're going to get better. You got to put the work in and, you know, for most not, you're going to get better if you do put the work in. Yeah. Yeah, and I totally think that those two things, I think that they connect, like the passion, like you, you've touched on that a lot. And for me, like, I do believe those are both skills that you can grow with intention, right? Like most most players and people are just on autopilot. You go about your day and you just, how it works out is how it works out. But I, I think that you can increase your passion, right? There's a reason why these players started. And I think if you can focus on what those things are and even grow what the bandwidth is of like what you love about the game, it allows these other things that are maybe a little bit more comfortable, uncomfortable, become easier to follow through on, right? And then if you have the mindset around what it means to actually have a growth mindset, you know, that these ideas or, or these skill sets that maybe you don't quite have, you are able to get better at them. You are able to make different choices that allow yourself to improve. It kind of gets exciting. Like, and kind of, you can have the actual exact opposite um, feeling about them when you're when you're doing them. So, uh, I do think, like for me, obviously, it's what I do. Uh, you've mentioned it a few times, but like, I, I think as far as like a competitive advantage of that is actually what we're looking for. Like the mental side of it and the approach to the game, I think is the part that hasn't been uncovered uh, by the vast majority of players. And 
that can make the biggest difference um, way more than like a power skating session can. Right. How about how about your approach to the power skating session? Right. Like that's a that's a game changer. It's huge. And that I'm ready to play now. You got me all jacked up already. So I want to make another comeback. But that's what we try to do every day with our kids. You have to motivate them to do good every day, to do more and want more. Like you said, okay, you're going to practice. What did you do before you got on the ice to practice to make you better? You know, stretching it out, stretching your groins, hydrating enough. But it's that same old, same old. Some kids will get it, some won't. And hopefully kids that understand and they're they're going to do it, obviously get the results that they're looking for. Take another short break here from a discussion with Troy Mick. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I enjoyed having it at the time. Uh, I just wanted to tell you about the success I'm having with teams right now. Uh, Teams meaning teams, amateur teams, hockey teams that have um, contacted me wanting to take the Peak Potential Hockey Project as a group. Uh, I think I have four teams on the go right now. Uh, we, spread the, we spread the content out over eight weeks. So we do one week of online content followed by a coaching call with me and then we do another week. So we spread out the, uh, the course over eight weeks, two months. So it extends the value and, and the opportunities for the team to connect and get together. And it has been massively successful. It's, it's such fun uh, working with, uh, with, the, with the boys or girls. In, in this case, I have two girls teams on the go right now and two boys teams. Um, so that's fantastic. U18 level uh, for two, U16 for one, and U15 um, for one. So um, the age groups is all across the board. Uh, obviously, I'm also working, for those of you who follow me, with the uh, Salmon Arm Silverbacks or the BCHL at a junior A level. Um, so as far as like age of teams, uh, U15 and up is a fantastic uh place to start for the uh, for the Peak Potential Hockey Project. And if this is something that you think would be a great uh, way to start the second half of your season, or even if you're thinking about next year, I'm already having people book into next year, uh, which is one of the reasons why I'm trying to expand my inner business uh, model right now, because the uh, the demand is, is getting quite strong. So if this is something that you think your team would want next year, if you're a coach that listens and want to start the year off uh, with some really unconventional team building that gives you great benefits on the ice and in the locker room, um, then by all means, reach out and we'll get it on the calendar and at least we'll have a schedule so we know what to, to look forward to. And and uh, and I know how all that works too, even with the team team fundraising and, and that type of stuff with the parents. So uh, we're already looking into next year, uh, but just wanted to talk about how successful it has been with, with these players and, and uh, really puts a smile on my face to know that it's making such a big impact that so many of these concepts and conversations that we're having are completely foreign um, to the players that are involved, yet they're giving them so many more tools to step forward more bravely, more courageously, with more confidence uh, to be uh, the best player that they can be and to chase down these goals and dreams that they all want uh, while being in an environment, being in an ecosystem that actually supports growth and not toxicity. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really fun thing to be a part of. Again, if this is you, am I speaking to a coach or even a, a, a manager of a team or a president of a hockey association that's listening to this, uh, that's another way to get involved with Up My Hockey uh, from a, even a licensing standpoint that this uh, the online portion of what Up My Hockey is creating and doing uh, can become a part of your association so all of your teams can get access to the information um, uh, from a community standpoint. So lots of ways to get involved, whether that be this year or next year. Uh, would love to work with, with everybody and, and to give these these players the, uh, the information and the tools that they need. Thanks again for listening. Now back to my conversation with Troy. What do you think... Um 
we think the biggest need in today's player is like obviously the game's faster. I think it's. I mean, I think it's hard to to debate that it's not that the skills at an all time high. Uh, if there is a if there is a void somewhere in the players that you see coming up and in your you know your experience, what what do you think is is lacking in today's player? If there is something you could pinpoint. Well, to be honest, I mean, I I know you do that for a living, so this wasn't a plug. You didn't you know buy me a gift card or nothing, but <laughs> the mental aspect of how to be a hockey player. 365 days a year. Um, you know, you, when you become a teenager, now you've got the girlfriend issue, you've got the social media issue and everything else. I think a lot of the players aren't as tough as they were. Like back in the day, we never cried. I mean, it was a matter of, we would go out there and run somebody over if we were mad. We wouldn't go the other way where I think a lot of kids now, and, and I think society is obviously different than what we would do, but I would think of the the whole mental aspect of surrounding being a hockey player and what it encompasses and how you can deal with certain things that come your way. Like, hey, you're going to have a bad game, a bad shift. How do we get better from that? So we minimize that. I always say the game of hockey, the team that makes the least amount of mistakes is going to win those games. No different in your training and your practice habits. You have to realize you can't get down on yourself. you got to identify what you're doing, change part of your development, change part of your practice habits, or even your game habits to get better. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the National Hockey League players, you know, don't have their best games and shifts, but I can guarantee you they're watching video. They're looking at what they ate before that day. You know, was it pasta and chicken or was it spaghetti and meatballs? Maybe they didn't feel well. Like, there's so many variables now with the hockey. I think they got to get the mind in track to make them successful. If they don't get take care of the brain and they're not helping you, then it, it's really going to be a tough cause because uh, they're worrying about other things that they can't control. You need to worry about what you can control individually. Right. Yeah, great point. Do you think you talked about societal and, and that the game's different? And I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I think the, the game is different and the players that are playing within the game are different. And that's fine, right? I mean, uh, you have to deal with who's there, right? Like who's showing up, who's in the, in the locker rooms. Um so that is what it is. I think a lot of the a lot of what's happening, the evolution, I think, is actually healthy. I, I think you know, representing the person and respecting the person and individuality of the person is good. Um, but as parents, like I think that's one thing that I and my wife have been, you know, I wouldn't say struggling with, but it's something that we're that we definitely talk about is and is that the ability to empower our kids and you know, hence our athletes to be able to handle things right? Instead of stick handling things for them, right? So like, we're trying to be conscious about our decisions of how much rope they have. I mean, are they allowed to, you know, whatever the case may be, ride their bike to school or, you know, go and buy something at the store by themselves or whatever that that, that might mean for the age group we're dealing with. But, you know, allowing them to, to fail, to make some mistakes, maybe pick themselves up, figure it out and, and not have mom and dad try and solve all their problems for them all the time. Do you think, in your experience of what you've been doing now at the academy level and even the junior level, do you, do you, and I, and I, again, obviously we never talked about this prior is parent involvement at an all time high, or is that not an issue for you? Do, like where do you think that lies? <laughs> Oof, we could have another couple hours on here about parent involvement and, and I love all my parents, but you know, they're doing what they think is right. Um, but too much involvement. I mean, even just going to a game, like they're yelling and screaming, during the game and, and I don't know what that is if, if that's a stress relief for them but that does nothing like you play the game a lot I hardly heard what the crowd was because I was so focused and dialed in you know I think the goalie parents are even worse than a, a normal player I mean they're standing behind the net they're doing stats they've got iPads keeping them 
and we're talking peewee level. And, and I mean, it's just getting to the point where why can't a parent just go to the game, enjoy their son or daughter the way that they play. But, you know, from parents and then you're bringing family advisors in good or bad, but at the end of the day, your coach that you're playing for is going to be the most important person in the development of your son or daughter off and on the ice. So to me, that's a big decision in where you play. Parents yelling and screaming at referees and these young kids getting yelled at, parents yelling at each other in the stand, that's an absolute travesty. Like, we don't have enough referees to play this game, and the parents are the worst culprits of all of it. Forget about anything else that the players do in the corner. They get a penalty, they go sit in the box for two minutes. Well, that parent that's screaming at an 11-year-old kid on the ice that's, you know, trying to do it to make $15 and trying to help the game has an adult calling them every name in the book, like, I would love USA Hockey, Hockey Canada to have people in the rink and videotape them and say you're suspended for 30 days. I, I truly am passionate. I just think there's no need in the buildings for parents to go absolutely crazy. They wreck the game. They they take all the momentum away. And again, I understand the parents fit the bill. But for me, that's one thing. They just need to support their son or daughter and enjoy the game. Quit being part of the game because last time I checked, parents were part of the six men on the ice. Yeah, no, for sure. The uh, that support, I think that's such an interesting word that you use there because I think that the definition of what that means to parents today, right? Like, I mean, to your point, I mean, you read the Matheny Manifesto. I don't know if you ever had it. It's a, it's baseball, and he was a manager uh, for the Cardinals. And, and he was coaching minor baseball and he wrote this, what is now t- dubbed the Matheny Manifesto. And he had like this rule book for parents. So like, uh, if you're going to, if your kid's going to play for me, this is like, this is, this is how it's going to happen. Right. And, and, and he also talked about how, how he parented in, in this thing. And, and, and I do think it's evolved. Like he, he essentially said, like Mike Matheny said that like, whatever the coach did was right. Period. And that was and that was the message to his kid. Right. Like, so it was his kid needed to figure out what was going on. Dad was there to watch the game and to leave after and get his kid an ice cream cone. And that was what dad's involvement was. Right. And it was the coach's job to coach. Now, I do think that there is I I think you need to protect your kids or some scenarios where you need to protect your kids. And and in that word, I'm going to I'm going to use slash support your kids. Right. Um, I think that's kind of where society has gone. I think that's generally accepted that there's going to be times where maybe you have to look out for their best interest. But I think the line for parents is like, you know, some parents are like, you know, Johnny misses one shift and all of a sudden the phone's ringing. Right. Where Johnny would not have any issue with missing that one shift. It's more like the parents have the issue with him missing the one shift and they're missing the entire idea of why he maybe missed that shift. You know, so I I think like on the linear side of things, it's like, where does that support start and end for parents? Like where when can they just allow their child to go play and enjoy it and not have the pressure of what mom and dad thought about me missing the shift in the background? Right. Or what mom and dad thought about my performance or anything else, what line I'm on, who I'm playing with. Like, I think when that comes into the conversation at home all the time, like that's where the toxicity comes from. And uh, I'm not here to be anyone seeming parent guide or, or sayer, but I think, you know, from the coaching side of it, and I know you're on the coaching side of it too. That is where I think I, I find there's more issues with the kids that have the high parental involvement than there is with the, with the kids that don't. You know, like Absolutely. They, they trust you, right? They trust you to deal with yeah. him or her. And and hopefully a coach is involved in that spot that can do it. But that I find the most success with players in that environment. Yeah. And and I have, again, no, 
I don't want to say I have a no talking policy. I basically do Zoom calls every six weeks with every one of my parent group to give them the information that I feel that they deserve. How he's doing in his billets, how his practice habits, how his schooling's going, how he's fitting in with the dressing room and how are we doing as a family together. And then I give them some ideas on what they need to work on and what I think they're doing well. The one thing I tell them, don't ever call me, text me, email me about your son or daughter's ice time because he or she will know why they're playing so much or not playing enough. Because that's one thing I think it's important for a coach is it's always great after a win and, you know, beat the drum and go, oh, yeah, great, I'm the best coach in the world. And then you lose a game and then little Johnny didn't get enough ice and now you've got the parents and I like, for me, I'm very proactive in my coaching that I have everything set up in advance, how things are going to go, how it's going to proceed. And when I do do my Zoom calls with them, I say, ask me any question underneath the sun, just not ice time. It's amazing how less of questions you have from the parental group when that's not and that's not even a conversational piece because I said, ask your son or your daughter why, and they'll know because I think coaches need to inform the parents more of what's going on, not be secretive. I know a lot of coaches are volunteers and they get a little gun shy because they open it, but set your parameters, have it advanced, give the information that you feel that the parents need. And I guarantee it'll help the rest of the year. But once you become secretive, once you, you know, become evasive, then parents can ask more questions. And then one parent's not going to like you, then it grows to two and to five and then, you know, here we go. Now it starts to get a little bit of crazy and out of hand, and it's really tough. I mean, and that's not the general parents. Obviously, there's a hell of a lot of great parents out there that are in it for the right reasons. The one are helping volunteer, doing the score sheet, doing the time clock, doing the tournament fundraisers, and, you know, just happy to be a part of it. But, you know, sometimes those bad apples really wreck for a whole team. I love what you do there. It's like kudos for me, round of applause, like to have that line of communication that's set up and the parents know when they're going to talk like that. That's fantastic. And like, and that probably, that probably dissolves so many potential conflicts before they even happen. Um, you know, because people just want to know, like really that's one of the, like, I beat that drum all the time. And I feel that I'm very authentic and transparent in my own practice about like, Yes, you will know. And I never say one thing to somebody and say something different to another, right? You I mean like it's, right. I think that accountability and the integrity around that is, is essential, right? And, and when you have that, right? When you have, when you have like the, you said secrecy a few times, like when it seems secretive, that's when, that's when all the rumors start and that's when all yeah. these, you know, all these politics start and all this. But if you have an open line and if the coach, I mean, what I love about what you're saying right there, it makes the coach tell you what's up. Right. And when you make a coach say that now he has to be accountable to what he said. Right. Like that, like that exposes the coach completely. So that's why I love that level of communication. And I encourage my players to talk to their coaches all the time. Like, I think that's where it should be. Right. I don't know how you feel about that. Like for the players I work on an individual level, I'm not telling them to go in there and beat the door down and be in there all the time. But you have to be comfortable enough to sit in front of your coach face to face and want to know what you need to do better want to know what you need to deserve to get more ice time. And then it makes you accountable to it, right? And it makes you more respected in that coach's eyes too. So anyways, I, I think the parents are the ones or the advisors are the ones or all these people want to step in between the coach and the player. And it completely sabotages that, that relationship, which is the most important relationship to the player in the first place. Well, yeah, and that's how I work it even on the bench. The coach is always right on the bench. I said, I don't need you to turn around and talk back to me. But in between the period, We'll go outside and I talk to him and go, okay, 
Now, what did you see? Because I don't want him to talk back to me. I think that's just a form of disrespect. And I've got 19 other guys that I don't want doing that. I'll give them a warning. It's okay. Why did you think I was wrong? And then we talked about it. Then we go up for the second period to do it. It's never anything confrontational, but my players, exactly like you said, they know when we're doing the skate around before practice, I usually pick two, three guys. I skate around, ask them, how you doing? How's things going? How's school? How's our family? Continue shoot pucks, go around to the next guy. The open line of a communication with the player is so good. Or identifying the kid that maybe is having a tough time fitting in with his peers and try to rally him around him and, and get him involved a little bit more. And I think it's it's not about winning hockey games for me as a coach anymore. It's developing them to win hockey games. And I think that's such a big different statement that more coaches need to be a part of. Yeah, no, I love that strategy. It makes me, it reminds me of Travis Green and his, uh, and he did this speech at the, the NHL entry draft and, and he said the biggest and he's, I mean, he's coach of an NHL team, right? Where it's all about winning. Yeah. He said when he made his biggest mistakes at any point of his career, whether it be professional or junior or amateur, was when he put winning first. Like when he thought that was the most important thing. When he when he forgot that the development of the player and development of the person was actually first, and he sabotaged that to win a hockey game, he's like, that's when he knew he was going wrong, and that's when he's made his biggest mistakes. But I mean, to your point, I mean, I love that. I love that uh, philosophy. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, to to commit to that, right? And 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 in the fire to commit to that. And I think those that do obviously serve the players better, and they're going to win more hockey games at the end of the day too. But I love the I love that you're seeing there. Sometimes it does take a little, a few uh, a few years in the game or around it, right, to understand where you kind of fit in it, right? Well, and you got to get your own style, right? I think yeah. you have a style as a coach. Have a style. How you teach is important, but to me, it's all about communication. You know what? Mm-hmm. I got to earn their respect. They got to earn mine. Once that happens, the best thing in the world can happen is that us becoming a family in that direction, playing hard for one. I want to play hard for my coach. I don't want to be scared of my coach. I may be an intense coach, but he's got my back. He's there for me. I can go to him, talk about hockey, but it's more than hockey. I want to talk about life. I want to talk if i got a girlfriend problem. I want to talk about mom and dad are hard on me or my schooling. So I want to be that person because really coaches are probably – developing your son or daughter more than you are because that coach is probably going to see him even more than you so you got to do your homework you got to do your due diligence you got to talk to people that you trust in the game don't go somewhere because johnny went there because it might not be the fit for your son or daughter yeah no great point i mean the coach yeah i mean we, we are coaches i guess i mean i'm not really a coach of a team but i'm a coach of players and and you know it's kind Absolutely. of quasi with teams and and uh I just I know the value of it, right? Like you, you when when it's done, and plus as a player, you've seen the value of it when it's done right and when it's done wrong. Like how how much it can expand you as a person, or how much it can really, you know, contract you as a person too, right? That environment. So I, I totally do agree with that. There's a massive influence, and and so much respect to the people out there that are volunteering at the minor hockey league level, and uh, you know, at the amateur level, and even those that are you know working their way up the ranks and in, in you know the junior to professional leagues. Like it it you know. I, I think hockey's doing a good job of putting the right people in those positions. You know, like anywhere else, it's it's not perfect, and there is some bad stories. And hockey's kind of coming under this this gun right now of 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 what it isn't, or maybe what people think it is more than it isn't, in my opinion. But uh, yeah. I think we got to celebrate the good people out there because uh, there are a lot of them, and they're making a really positive impact on a lot of these kids. 
Well, no question. And I mean, that's why I give back a lot. I do a lot of volunteer hours here in Wenatchee. We don't have a monstrous hockey program, but, you know, every Tuesday night, you know, I've got my 16 U team and my 18 U team out at ABM, learn to play hockey, the power skating with the kids. And those little kids, you and I were once there too. And the biggest thing in the world, looking up to them and going, I want to be like you. And giving back to the game, I think, is so critical now for these kids. And that's why I do a lot of stuff. And obviously, I've been in the game a long time. And, you know, I pick the things that's important to me. But I always remember when I walked across the street to Vernon Civic Arena and I got my first junior hockey stick handed to me, I thought I died and went to heaven. And that really helped me become who I am today because I've always given back. I've always talked to everybody. It wasn't I only talked to the cool people. I always went to everything, did a lot of promotions, did the radio, TV, you know, went to, you know, the Special Olympics. We did all so many things. And just take the time out to say hi is the most important gift that you can give to that up-and-coming hockey player. Yeah, yeah, no, awesome. Great. I love that work. And to anyone listening right now, like, I'm not in the head coach position this year, but last year was the first year I, like, I really made it a conscious effort to try and figure out how our, how our team fit in the community. You know, like what, what we could do to be a service to a community or to a, to a young boy or girl, like in the community. And, um, and I think that gets lost in, in this chase for winning and the chase of the personal development, right. Of, of the player that we forget about that emotional human development and, and what, these players can do it at whatever level, whether it's a private league level or whether it's, you know, the, the triple A level of, of a minor hockey association that you can impact your community. You can impact the younger kids in your community or, or, or whoever that may be, but you have to allow the time and the space and have a strategy to do it. Right. So like you're, you're conscious about it is, is, is what it sounds like. Right. I mean, this is something that, that you want to have happen. You want to be intentional about your involvement in the community. And I think when coaches do do that, it takes away this, this other thing that's maybe hockey players have come in, in uh, you know, under the heat for is like this in, word entitlement, right? Like with all the things that are happening from this young age and people are leaving their communities at such a young age and joining these prep programs and it's a pay to play and it's, you know, it's all this stuff. Like, of course, these players are going to get a bit entitled, you know, because they've had everything like given to them, right? Or, or handed to them. And if you don't include that community involvement and, and some type of direction, right, like of how to use this position to help others, to impact others, to be a positive role model uh, within your community, like they're going to miss it. You know what I mean, I think that's where the coaches got to come in and you have to make that be part of their of part of their ecosystem or they will miss it. No, there's no question about it. And I know with the program here with the Wenatchee Wild and the BCHL, they're in the community every week. They're on the ice. They're going to elementary schools and stuff. And it keeps these kids humble. Like you said, yeah, they're going to have entitlement, but the ones that are entitled to really realize how much giving back means to that current program, whether I was at the Vernon Vipers, Portland Winterhawks, Tri-City Americans, every one of the junior teams does such a good job in giving back to their communities. And that's why I always say support your local junior teams because they're doing a lot of things other than you see them on the ice battling. When they're off the ice, they're in your home. They're spending money in your community. They're going to elementary schools. They're giving their time back to the community and not judge them just by wins and losses or goals and assists. Judge them by how they are as a human being, yeah. that they greet you and say hi and go on to the minor hockey classes. And I just think sometimes we get so caught up in the wins and losses that we forget how much other side of the game these players are impacting the lives of your children or my children and stuff because uh i still remember it was like yesterday and signing my first autograph well probably same as you was a highlight of my career and somebody you want my autograph really why and that's just such a thrill but i think that's the passion the intensity 
the compete I have in everything I do every day, whether it was a player, a coach, and now run an academy. Yeah, well, I think what what I what I like about that whole community involvement is like the personal accountability and ownership that develops because because of that. And like, so I'm I'm now I'm referencing like my U13 team last year. So these kids are 11 and 12, right? Like this is grade six and grade seven, right? <laughs> um, but we talked about the fact that I mean they're on the best team in Vernon. Right. Like they're on the best team in Vernon. They were selected yeah. to represent Vernon, uh, you know, on a provincial standpoint uh, as, as being the best hockey players this town can provide. And when I was speaking with them and we, we got involved in like a, a, the novice program. Right. So we would go to these novice practices. Um, we'd split the team up and I would do like a 10 minute like skating thing or whatever. And then the boys would help and interact with with these with these, you know, six, seven year olds. Uh, and and whatever, just kind of give them something new, right? Something fun, and, and and ask them questions and get involved. And like you said, like their eyes are like this, right? These we're talking eleven and twelve year olds, but they're superheroes to these little guys, right? And so oh. that experience for them, like, made them understand in a small way that they are accountable not just to themselves, but to somebody else, right? That their impact matters, how they show up matters, right? You can positively influence somebody's life, even though you're only 12 years old, right? So like now their behaviors and their actions, hopefully they start choosing things a little bit differently. Like how do they react at school? How do they, how do they react with their classmates? How do they react with the younger kids at their school, right? Because they've had that exposure. So I love that personal kind of ownership and empowerment that it makes them think outside of themselves a little bit, you know, from a younger age and that you can positively have this type of, of an impact. And uh, I think the more we introduce that as coaches, I mean, and as parents, obviously the parents listening, like that is the beauty of, and that's one of the things I love about community hockey too, is because you have that ability in your community, within your community, right. To be able to do that. Yeah. Um, um, so anyways, that's my soapbox speech about that. I, I'm starting to get more impassioned about that because I think that's <laughs> from the whole holistic side, you know, which is a big thing for me, right? Like the person behind yeah. the hockey player. I think the more you develop the person behind the hockey player, the better that athlete's going to be on the ice and in the locker room, right? You're going to win more games with that person. You're going to, you're going to develop faster. You're going to be uh, a much more wanted commodity for whatever association you're going to end up with. Right. So, uh, I really believe in that, in that development. I think that community piece is a, is a key. So I love that you, you brought that up. I had no idea we were going to go there today, but, uh, good for you because not all junior teams do that too, by the way. Yeah. I mean, some yeah. are much better at than others. So that's awesome that Wenatchee's uh, doing a big job of that. I got Mario written down here in my notes because you said him earlier. He was my guy, Micker. My guy. Oh, your man? Oh, my God. I Like, in this day and age, like, if he existed in this day and age, like, for these young boys and girls that love Connor McDavid, and you can watch him whenever you yeah. want and all the highlights. Like, I, I was a sponge for Mario. I thought he was... Yeah, I thought he walked on water. I still think he does, actually. I think he was the one be best one-on-one -on -one player to ever play the game. You know, I think him and a goalie, like, goalies didn't stand a chance. Uh, if you couldn't hook that guy, I could not imagine what he would do in today's day, day and age. But I set the stage about how much I love him. Hopefully you loved him as much as me. But what was it like being at camp with, with somebody like that? Well, I've got the, probably the best story ever, of course, you know, from Burnham, BC, going to camp and – you know, back then they were out in Mount Lebanon, which is about 20 minutes away from the rink. So we'd always get dressed at the main rink in the igloo and put all your equipment on other than skate. So we'd get out there and I'm playing my first inner squad game and the building's packed, like absolutely packed. I mean, we have Mary Lemieux, we have number 66 in the building. So you couldn't do it. So we get off the bus and they have this kind of red carpet. We truck in there, get dressed, get on the ice. I go around. I remember it's probably halfway through the game and I give him like a, a little pass on the wall. So he goes, takes the puck all the way around behind the net, comes around the other side of the circle, 
he probably launches like a 20 foot sauce pass to me as I'm coming into the zone. I'm probably still watching, but wow, look at him going, okay, I'm, I'm actually on a line with him. I go into the slot, it lands right on my stick. I get it, boom, one tee it right in the net, beat uh, Rick Tabaracci. The place is going bananas and I'm like, oh my God, I'm just high-fiving Mario Lemieux at camp. I'm loving it. And then reality set in. I'm like, well, what's going on here? All of a sudden, they announced the goal scorer, Troy Mick. I think I was number 48 at camp and assisted by number 66, Mary Lemieux. Oh, everybody was standing up and everything. I think they forgot who actually scored the goal. I learned my place really quick that I got the high five, Mario. Mario, you take all the accolades and I'm just uh, the water boy when I'm out there with you. But he was such a good guy to all of us rookies and stuff like that. Um, another quick funny story, I remember we do off-ice training and they do the fitness testing right in the arena. And all of a sudden, you know, two, three guys are going up, they're doing the pull-ups, right? And I think I got like nine or 10 and I'm like pretty happy. All of a sudden, you know, Kevin Stevens gets up there and he's just ripping these things off. And I'm like, oh my God, I got a long ways to go. You know, Mark Recchi gets up there. I think he did 55 pull-ups. Like that guy was a machine in the pull-ups. Mario comes up there. Does one, drops it, no one says a word, walks out of the room, done. So I guess the super NHL power, you don't have to do a whole lot when you're such a, a classy gentleman and, and the way that he played. And the last one was I remember doing a one-on-one drill, and he's got like that 14-foot stick that goes around. I'm going one-on-one -on -one with him. I go, I'm going to beat him, I'm going to beat him. And I just turn and pivot with him. He takes one stride, pucks around, boom, top cheddar. Coaches look at me. You're not a defenseman, Mick. Get in the other line. End of story. So that was my claim to fame. But just an unbelievable human being. Treated people with nothing but class. And just that whole Pittsburgh organization, as you were involved uh, with other programs, just treat you right. And you need the strong leadership, kind of what we talk about as mentors that you and I are now coaching and everything else. I give back to the game as much as possible because Mary Lemieux definitely took me under his wing. And uh, I was proud to be a part of it. Pretty fantastic. You got to be on a line with them. Holy smokes. Did you ever play like um, an exhibition game or anything? With, with, you know what? No, no, I went to four uh, training camps and never got to play uh, an exhibition game, a regular season game. And that's why I tell people so much as much as points mean a lot, they don't mean anything when you go to that level. And, and you were fortunate enough to play World Junior, represent your country and play in the NHL. Like I could only imagine the electricity I felt in a, a warm-up game or a training camp game when those fans are just to sit in a locker room. I mean, I guess you fill me in. What was it like your first game sitting in that locker room? Because I think it's so important for these kids to understand all the hard work and sacrifices that you did, your family did, for that moment that you sat in that locker room knowing you were playing that game. The feeling must have been unbelievable. Oh, it was unbelievable. I just, like, for me, it was almost like... Well, one, you I mean that you're euphoric because you're there. I mean, there's so much stuff yeah. going on, right? That there was a part of me that I I did feel like I was supposed to be there. You know I mean, it was kind yeah. of weird to me, like, and well, that's a whole nother conversation. But there was part of me that was like, <laughs> okay, I'm here, and I arrived, right? And I'm kind of supposed to be here. There was a there was the euphoria, but then there was also a huge part of like, don't screw this up, right? Like, you know, what I mean, like, don't like just fit in, like trying my best to like just fit in, you know, like, and to a point that you're not even being yourself at all. Right. Like you're just you're, you're totally not comfortable. You're not present. You're not really enjoying the moment. Right. So like that would be that's the one thing that I work with my guys on right now is like 
almost to a T, like almost to every single client that I have is, is who are you like connect, like, and be comfortable being who you are, because you cannot be your best player on the ice. If you're like not feeling yourself in, in I mean, on, on the ice or in, or in the dressing room, right? Like you gotta be, you gotta be comfy, right? You gotta be comfy. And um, I know it's easier said than done, but I wasn't even thinking about that at the time. Right. You know I mean that this this is a thing. I was just thinking about how do I fit in, right? Not that there's an there's a maybe a tool to help me to help me uh you know be a better player. But yeah, I mean it was it was super like I have almost no recollection of almost any NHL game that I played. I mean, I don't even know what that says, yeah. right? Like it says something about either my memory or my 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 mental ability to deal with stuff. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I really don't know. Like I remember definitely some highlights and some things here and there, but you know, I only played 41 games. You think I would remember every shift of every one, right? Like I, I don't, you know, so yeah. there's definitely some mental anguish and pressure and stuff that goes on with that, you know, uh, sure. being there and, and trying to do it. And I think, uh, yeah, I, I would have loved, I mean, now in my reflection, I would have loved to have got to a place to feel comfortable. And I think that's the hardest thing, right? Like that leveling up process. Cause every time you step up, right, whether you're good enough to be there or not, there is this transition, right? There's a big transition and it takes a while to feel comfortable. And the and the, the more you can minimize that gap, right? That comfortability gap, the better chance you have to stay, right? right? And I think that was where I was kind of, I never got to the spot where I was like, I'm one of the boys, you know, I deserve to be here. I, I know I'm going to be in the lineup the next night. You know, I never got to that spot um, and it hurt me. You know I mean? Getting traded and trading teams never helped either, right? Like the one thing I do remember, Micker, is when, I got traded to Toronto. That was halfway through my uh, my rookie season. I played, I think, 19 games with Florida already at the time. So I had scored my NHL goal, and yeah. you know, so things were kind of happening. And I was I was playing good. You know, I mean, there was nothing really wrong with how I was playing. But they they sent me down just before the deadline, and then I got traded at the deadline to Toronto. So I went to Toronto, and I didn't know. Like I'd gone to camp with those guys in Florida for like four years, right? Three right. years. Yeah. So I knew Beezer and I knew Scott Mellenby and I knew all those guys there, right? So it was somewhat comfortable. Being in that locker room was okay, actually. So I should digress in that part of the story because in Florida, I did feel relatively comfortable and they they put me in a pretty good spot there. I knew I was going to be fourth line, third line. They didn't have me on the power play, but that was all part of the plan. You know what I mean? It wasn't like I was yeah. you know, being shamed. It was like, this is good. Like you're growing within this organization. But then when I got traded to Toronto, I didn't know anyone. Right, like Wendell Clark, Scott, you know, Curtis Joseph, you know, like names like Matt Sundin, Ty Domi, like you know, all these guys that I only knew of as posters on my wall, or you know, or players like whatever. Now I'm a 20 year old kid walking in there. They just got traded for their assistant captain and Kirk Muller, straight up, you know, and and trying to deal with that in that Toronto market. Like I think I did okay on the ice, but like not comfortable at all in the locker room, like at all, right? Like at all. Yeah. Didn't know anyone. Didn't know how to fit in, and. um and maybe that's part of why I'm so passionate about speaking about the person behind the player because, you know, I mean, I was a good hockey player, but I had a Absolutely. hard time figuring out who the person was, right? And when those don't connect, you're not going to be a great hockey player. So anyway. you're battling was, each other, right? You battle internally, right? When you knew that you were a good hockey player, but it is what it is, right? Yeah, that's the yeah. thing. And that's why I'm so, you know, appreciative of guys like you that are really trying to break boundaries because if you're asking for help in that area, it doesn't mean you're not good enough. You want to be better. Or get rid of that stigma when you're talking to a sports psychologist or talking to a motivational speaker and stuff. Those are all great things because you don't want to wait and find out too late and then your career's done and you go, I wish I could have, should have. Now you've got the opportunities of great guys like you that have played the game that can actually talk it from a hockey sense and not from a book. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, and that's the thing too. Like one of the things that I talk about is like, I don't, even looking back on it, like I wasn't broken. Like there was nothing wrong with me. It was just, it was like reality. You know what I mean, like, I don't know how you would walk in there and feel like super uber comfortable. Like you'd have to be some type of alien. You know, like there's no way you wouldn't feel uncomfortable. So there was nothing abnormal about me. And I actually think I probably handled it quite well. I mean, I wasn't depressed. I mean, there wasn't, yeah, you know, yeah. there was nothing like clinical that was happening. It was just being a human being in a big moment, in a big environment that I did the best that I could with what I had. And I didn't have any other support. Right. So like that's foolish in my opinion. But, you know, I mean, that's foolish to try and figure that out at 20 years old on that stage and in that moment and to think that you're mentally tough enough to have it all right. I did think I was mentally tough enough. Right. And in some aspects, I was. I handled it. I figured it out. You know I mean, I played pro for 10 years, but I could have done way better. Yeah. Right. You know, what I, mean? I could have done way better. So for me, like I talk about having the support in your inner circle being tight as like a high performance tool right? This isn't about fixing something that's broken. It's just about like, how do you maximize who you want to be and what you want to become, right? And when you shift the thinking on that, it's not a handicap. You know what I mean, there's nothing wrong. It's just, this is actually like, you're being intelligent and smart because you're adding this thing to your toolbox that you wouldn't have otherwise had, right? So I don't, I think that shift helps players. I don't know who you were. Like, I didn't want to hold my hand up and say, hey, I need help with something. No, you wouldn't because they would use that against you if you did it back in our day, right? right. It was like, you were, you were a soft hockey player if you needed to do this. It was all, you know, and that's one thing I really like how the game has actually progressed because they don't judge you by your race, your skin, or your color now. It's strictly on your ability to play. Now you have coaches and you have people like yourself that can make a difference in a player's game because a lot of the stuff, I never had anything. I mean, you imagine going to a doctor or a sports psychologist, like right away, they'd be like, okay, something's wrong with you. You know, you you move right. down on the depth chart like you really are. Now I'm so glad that kids can speak more, kids can be more open more, and not be hampered because they want to get better. And yeah. I just, I just, I love that, and I really love the hockey community. I, I really, truly do. I love the hockey community. I love what it does. And this is a prime example. Like I get goosebumps just hearing you sitting in an NHL dressing room and the stuff that you went to and I'm 53 and I can't even play NHL on Xbox anymore. So, you know what? <laughs> it is, I get to be an impact every day in these kids' lives and that really is what motivates me nowadays. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm thankful you do what you do and I'm hopeful enough, hopefully enough people, um, you know, recognize that as such too and you and you get the good. Sometimes, sometimes in the, with the, with the cards that you're holding, you you hear sometimes that, you know more of the negative than you should. So I, I know that you've probably made a big impact in a lot of people's lives, and you've and you've heard that. Maybe that's a good segue to just to finish. We we're at uh, almost ninety minutes, and it's amazing how I always tell my guests, oh well, we about an hour, and I, I don't know if I've ever gone just an hour. So thanks for being patient. <laughs> And uh, I know we could probably continue this for a, for a long time, so maybe we'll have to do part two. But Troy, was, uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. I think. Um, well, hopefully our discussion made some people think about some things. I mean, that's always the idea. It's not like we're trying to provide 100% absolute answers. But, you know, I think the more we can have some good discussions about where the game could go or, you know, different ideas about the game and different approaches to development, that maybe it allows people to think of it a little bit differently and step outside of their comfort zone a little bit. So appreciate for all your, your insights and, and thoughts on that today. No, thank you very much. Like I said, real life is the best way to get better every day. And we've all experienced it and all your guests experience it. And Hopefully somebody can take any bits and pieces to make them better. And you know what? Then we've done our job. We've given back to the community. 
Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, yeah. Well, until uh, until next, I try. I know we'll continue this conversation offline here, but uh, we'll sign off. And thanks for everyone who's listening today. Uh, Troy Mick, Wenatchee Wild Director of Hockey and, uh, and yeah, former coach of BCHL and WHL teams. And who knows where you'll end up one day. But thanks for joining us today. Thanks, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Cheers. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end of the conversation with Troy Mick. Uh, I know for me it was not hard at all uh, to have a 90-minute conversation. Like I said in the uh, at the end there with Troy, like I felt like we could totally have uh, gone another 90 minutes easy. And if you throw a beer or two in there, I'm sure we could have gone for uh, 90 more after that. Uh, great to catch up. Um, Troy and I have known each other for you know quite some time, but never have really sat down and had a discussion like that at all. Uh, we just knew each other's names and knew each other's uh, uh, careers a, a little bit. So great to catch up with him and see what he's doing, and uh, and to hear his perspective on you know player development on the state of the game in general and uh, what he finds important. And I hope that you uh, found some some nuggets there as well as 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 I did. Um, as I said earlier at the intro, uh, this is going to be a regular allotment. I might even be getting into some solo um, podcasts. That's something that has been coming on my radar. Is something that um, has been requested, and maybe something something that I should be doing. Uh, kind of my thoughts on on the game in general. Maybe different uh, examples of, of things that have come up in uh, in the hockey world, and, and what my opinion is on them. So uh, I'm not quite brave enough to go there yet. I'm not sure if that's something that I want to do. It definitely wouldn't be. Uh, super long-winded like the hour or the hour and a half episodes here with with the local guests um but maybe something that you know shorter shorter term and we'll get out during the week so i don't know if you're if you're still listening now if this is something that you think would be interesting uh, that you would like to hear my take on on some on some current you know hot topic issues or even if this was something that you would uh be sending in questions for me uh to handle uh, questions about you know player development or mental aspects of the game or uh approach to coaching uh, potentially even uh, how to parent um, hockey players uh, how to help in that regard um, that would be something that I would entertain, you know, for sure. If there was if there was a demand for it, and if it would be something that you guys would find interest in, uh, I would definitely do it. That is what this this program is all about. So maybe I'll mention that on another uh, podcast here if that is something you want to hear. But like I said, if you if you are around and if there's something of interest, by all means, send uh, send me a, a DM on Instagram or or go to my contact page on. Uh, on uh on uh, at upmyhockey.com uh also facebook on messenger is a great way to get a hold of me um and say yeah it'd be a great idea and maybe ask a question that you'd want me to have answered there as as part of an additional uh podcast episode uh, but until then i'm looking forward to providing these uh to you on a more frequent basis um getting back into the hockey world and into the podcast world and and find some amazing guests for you and and have some good discussions so thanks again for being here as always you you help me by uh by you know sharing this with your friends by by putting a review out there uh, i looked on itunes the other day there's still only like 50 reviews it's crazy to me how many people of you listen and i get to see the download results and how few of you take uh the little bit of time it does to put a five star on there and to say yeah uh, I, I enjoy what's going on so there's my challenge if you're one of those people that listens uh on itunes and you have an iphone and you have not yet um subscribed or you have not yet uh, written a review please do that totally helps with the algorithms and the uh and the distribution and keeps it current and top of the search list so thanks again to all of you for being here until next time play hard keep your head up